So today I want to talk about the danger of anger in the, in the minutes we have left. Uh, anger is an important emotion. Uh, anger is one of those helpful things that will often inspire us to deal with a problem. You know, there's, you know, there's some things that, there's some things that should make you angry, Right? Uh, and we talked about last week about effective confrontation. A lot of times you have to be angry to some degree. You have to be irritated before you will get to the place where you need to have an effective confrontation. So anger can help inspire us. If you didn't hear that last week, you can go online to the podcast, uh, Life Community Church Sunnyvale. All the sermons are there on podcast. You can listen to last week's sermon. Also great if you're having trouble sleeping. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but they're, they're you know, so it's sometimes it's important something irritates us. Like there was classified ad, wedding dress size ten, unused. We'll trade for thirty-eight caliber pistol. <laughs> Some things need to make you angry, but anger is a two-edged sword, and it's often it's easier to be more destructive with anger than it is to be constructive. We've all we've all experienced that. We've all experienced what it means to create difficulty with our anger. James 1.19 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. That's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So today, David, we're, we're in the life of David. As we're studying the life of David, we're going through some of the high points of David's life. And this is a situation where David loses his temper. He loses it. And so we're going to look at that, and it's, it's kind of an involved story, and it's about a chapter of the Bible, and I'm going to read it. I could tell you it in story form, but I just feel like this is why we're here. This is the Word of God. This is important. And so we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, and uh, we're going to read it. And uh, so try to stay up, and I'll try not to mess up too much. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down in the de- to the desert of Paran. So David had been up further north, and now when Samuel is dead, he has, he's going closer to Egypt. He's going further south. Uh in a sense, to create a greater degree of safety because he's running from Saul. Now, you know, the background story is this. Israel wanted a king. They went to Samuel and said, Samuel, you're old, and your sons aren't following you, and so we would like to have a king. And so Samuel at this time is like 60 years old, and he lives and serves for another 30 years. Till he's 90. Then he dies. I'm sure David had felt under, under Samuel who had anointed him to be king. And, and again, this is a long process. He anoints Saul to be king. Saul is king for seven days. And the Lord says to Saul through Samuel, I'm going to remove you from being king. I'm going to replace you with a man after my own heart. And this is 12 years before David's even born. And then it's another 15 years 
before Samuel goes and anoints David to be king. So 27 years later. And then after Samuel anoints David to be king, he's going to run from Saul, who's going to try to kill him for about another 13 years. So it's going to be another, it's going to be 40 years. It's virtually 40 years from the moment that God says to Saul, I'm going to replace you with a man after my own heart until David is actually in place as king of Judah, not even over all of Israel, 40 years. And one of the things we realize, we learn about that is that God doesn't think about time the way you do or the way I do. Because we think about, you know, when I want something to happen, when I pray about something, I'm wanting it to happen tomorrow at three o'clock. And yet, in God's time span, it's often way longer than we expect. And so we're often not understanding how things, how patient we have to be in the timing of God. So David is, he's waiting. He's in this miserable time of waiting between being an anointed king and actually being king. And Saul is trying to kill him and he wants to honor Saul. He doesn't want to take Saul out. He wants to honor Saul as the king until God decides to take him out. So he's trying to be patient to trust God to do it and him not do it. And so he's caught in this transition time, this time of the middle. And being in the middle is tough. Times of transition are difficult. So a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep. So that he was wealthy. He had a lot of goats in the bank, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. He was a descendant of Caleb. When David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he sent ten young men and said, to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name, saying to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time we were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants and they will tell you, therefore be favorable toward my men since we come at a festival time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message. Nabal, Nabal, this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, "Who is this David?" Now, do you think it's realistic to think that someone in Israel didn't know who killed Goliath? that they didn't know who he was. So this is an insult. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword so they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, with 200 stayed behind with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. 
they did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over and see what you should do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. This Nabal has got a bad reputation, right? Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five shays of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding on her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. So David is determined now, because of this offense, to kill everybody. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, she's saying this, you know, hopefully. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal, and let this gift which your servant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. So she brings this very generous gift to give him. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living of the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. That's a good way to tie him in. You know, she's she's trying to get him to... Remember who he is, right? When the Lord had fulfilled for my Lord every good things he promised concerning him, has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. She's like, what? Girl, you're married. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, has kept me from harming you. If you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed in him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. 
When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. That didn't take long. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to, for you to become his wife. She bowed down her face to the ground and said, I'm your servant. I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married a Hinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given him his daughter Michael, David's wife, to Peltiel, son of Lachish, who was from Galim. So, how does anger get a hold of us? I mean, David's so angry, he's wanting to act out of this sense of revenge, and he's been hurt, he's angry. How could he do this to us? He's willing to kill every male in the household because they didn't give him something to eat. It's a bit of an overreaction, right? Of course, none of us have ever overreacted, right? We all overreact because we lose our temper. So how do we deal with this? How do we keep anger from getting a hold of us? So there's some things to learn here about David where David messed up. David passed the big test, but he flunked a little test. The big test was that he had Saul last week in his grasp. Saul was in the cave, and he was able to cut off the edge of his robe. He could have easily killed Saul, but he didn't. He passed the test. He honored the Lord. He's putting it in God's hands, so he doesn't tried to kill Saul, and so he does the right thing, but in just a matter of days, Saul is again trying to kill him. So he did the right thing. It didn't work out. You know, hopefully you always think if I do the right thing, it's going to work out, and the other person's going to do the right thing. They don't always do the right thing. You can do the right thing, and the other person can still do the wrong thing, right? So he, he acted right in his dealing with Saul, but now he's not acting right in his dealing with, with Nabal. We become vulnerable after a big success because we let our guard down and we become prideful. After we have a victory in a small area, then it's easy for us to, to fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. We are the weakest and most vulnerable when we think we're not weak and vulnerable. You have to understand that you're weak and vulnerable to not be weak and vulnerable. And just think, we, we so easily become prideful over small victories. If you do something that nobody, nobody around you is doing, you'll get prideful about it. Lose 20 pounds. All those lazy sloths around you that can't watch their weight. Get out, you know, do the Dave Ramsey plan. And get totally out of debt. Then you can judge everybody that's still in debt. Oh, you got a car payment? <laughs> I don't. Paid it off. We just, we're, we're wired that way. We're, we're, we're looking for value within ourselves. And so when we, we, we tend to easily become prideful. And so it's easy. If you have a victory, you get prideful about it. And then pride goes before a fall. Why? It lifts you up and you become self-sufficient. Uh, we tend to be prideful. Number two, you need to understand the roots of your anger. What is, who's David really angry at? Well, I think he's angry at Saul because Saul's trying to kill him. 
I think he's angry at God. Just a little. Because God's timing is frustrating. We're trusting him. David's trusting him. But, you know, man, two years, three years, four years goes by, five years goes by, six years goes by, and you begin to think, God, when is this going to happen? We, be, we become impatient. We get frustrated. And so David is angry. You can read. There's you know, certainly many Psalms where David is saying, God, you've let me down. You failed me. Hey, now, usually in those Psalms, if you read through those Psalms, by the end of the Psalm, he's worked it out. He's, he's begun the Psalm saying, oh God, you know, the enemies are triumphing over me. But by then he said, but God, I've put my trust in you. So he's, he, he's working through that. We're often always working through that. So he's angry. He's really angry with Saul. But his belief system won't let him lash out at Saul. His belief system won't let him touch the Lord's anointed. So he's caught. He'd like to see something happen to Saul, but yet he doesn't want something to happen to Saul. So he lashes out at Nabal, who represents success and power and prestige, and he's running. There's often a root cause in a lot of our anger <clears throat> that really often escapes our own discernment. Often it's difficult for us to see what is causing our anger. We often need help. Often it helps us to go to someone that is an unbiased counselor that can listen to us and say, well, you know, this is what you're upset about. And a lot of times we can't see it. And it can often help us. Uh, and also the, understand the things that stress you. What stresses you? David's having to take care of 600 men and their families. Does money stress you? You get stressed when you're out of money? Who doesn't get stressed when they're out of money? We all get stressed when we're out of money. How about time? Time is a stressor. I mean, anybody here got lots of extra time? You're thinking, man, I wonder what I'm going to do with all my extra time. We're all super busy, at least even, and here's the thing, even if you're not super busy, you still feel like you are because every donkey thinks their load is the heavy, heaviest. We all feel busy. So we struggle with that. So is your, does, does the lack of time stress you? It certainly can stress us. Does the lack of money stress you? Yeah. What if you got both? Then what if you, what about, what are you worried about? Some of you are worriers. You worry. You, you, you even make up stuff to worry about. You get anxious about being anxious. So then you have all these kinds of things. So, so you need to understand what are the things that stress you because that, that helps you understand what you're angry about. Your expectations are not being met. Another thing is you need to understand your personality. How do you react to situations? Some of you clam up. You know, what's wrong? Nothing. And you know immediately that something's wrong because they said nothing. Some of you blow up. It's obvious that you're upset. Some of you pack up, you know, load a suitcase. I don't have to put up with this. So you need to understand your personality. Number three, David is angry because his unexpressed expectations are unfulfilled. So David had expectations based on an assumption that Nabal would appreciate his actions. 
He had an expectation based on an assumption. If you expect people to understand your expectations without you ever explaining what your expectations are, and you don't have agreement on those expectations, you're going to be disappointed. David should have clarified with Nabal before he protected his sheep out in the wilderness, hey, we'd like to do this, but we'd all, you know, this is a give and take. There's going to be a time when we're going to need a little food, a little help. Can you do that? But nothing was ever said. It was an expectation based on an assumption. A lot of relationship conflicts are based on assumptions that have never been expressed or agreed upon. A lot of times in, 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 in marriage relationships, one of the things, we expect love telepathy. In other words, if they love me, they'll know what I need. Let me just tell you something. If half of that relationship is a man, they don't. And so I would tell you, women, your job is, if you have expectations around holidays and anniversaries and events, your job is to train him in what your expectations are. You say, well, that's not romantic. Well, neither is getting nothing. Nothing's very unromantic. <laughs> That's right? So what do you do? You say, honey, our anniversary's coming up in a month. And he says, well, what do you want to do? Don't say nothing. Oh, I don't care. Just figure it out. You're going to go see the dollar movie and go to McDonald's is what you're going to do. <laughs> He's thinking, all right, ching budget date. She doesn't care. And then guys, you need to understand that when she says, I don't care, it means I really care a lot. Pay attention. Right? So you have to express, so you express it, express what you need. Be clear about it. You know, see this here in the Chico's catalog, right? This one right here, that one right here. $115, right? I'll take that right there. And the size eight. I'm going to get that in faith that by the time we get it, I'll be able to wear it. You ever buy faith clothes? I'm buying these faith clothes right here in the name of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Cause you can always take it back and get the size it fits. All right. So don't expect love telep telepathy, telepathy. That's totally different. Number four, David's anger related more to an attack on his ego than to an attack on his life. It hurt his feelings. It hurt his ego. David answered, Nabal answered David's servants, who's this David? Who is this son of Jesse? So he, he just, you know, he calls him a nobody. He calls him a nobody. And yeah, and he's, it's, he's struggling with it because he feels like a nobody because he's been anointed king, but he's running for his life. It's, it, it really hurts us when we feel like somebody validates our insecurity. In words, they agree with how we're feeling about ourselves in that moment. And so it really bothered him. It, it offended his ego. Uh, so he reacts. He's reacting in, in, in anger because it offends his ego. 
So how people think about us and what people say about us, we're all overly sensitive to it. You can get a hundred compliments and get one criticism. Which one affects you the most? One criticism. You would think that David, of all people, would be free of this struggle about his value in himself based on what other people think. That this, what this lone guy says about him, that somehow this would plunge him into the depths of anger. He's so angry because he's been offended because it has wounded his ego. He's been called a nobody and a nothing. If you're overly inflated by a compliment... If you're overly deflated by criticism, you're getting your value in the wrong place. David was getting, in this moment, was not getting his value in God. He was getting it through Nabal. He was letting Nabal determine how he felt about who he was. And we have to find our value, not in the circumstances, not in the approval of others, but we have to find our value in what God says about us. Because people will always disappoint. You would think David would understand this better than most, but he's struggling. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The fight of faith is not the fight to do the right thing. The fight of faith is to believe the right thing. Because when you believe the right thing, you do the right thing. When you believe the right thing, you do. so it's believing what God says about you based upon his word. David allowed this lone voice to cause him to come crashing down. Number five, David allowed his temper to get out of control. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin. But we can sin in our anger. We sin in our anger. It says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. One of the ways we sin in our anger, we let our anger get out of control. One of the ways that we sin in our anger, we let our anger go on for a long period of time. We rehearse it. We rehash it. We keep it alive. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with a self-control, than one who takes a city. 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now we find in Galatians 5, 22 that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And that, I think that's unusual. Think about that. Tina didn't get it either. Maybe you don't get it either, but self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. My ability to control myself is a work of the Spirit of God inside of me. If the Spirit of God is working inside of me, then I have the ability to control myself. 
the Spirit of God, I'm trying to say it multiple ways here, the Spirit of God working enables my spirit to respond to God's power by His Spirit so that I can do what I ought to do. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So you, what it's saying is by the Spirit of God, you can control your temper. And we all know we can. Because you can be talking on the phone, and you can, or, or you can be having a fight. You know, and you're like, and the phone rings, and it's like, hello? Oh, we're just talking. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm on my way to get a gun. Uh, you know, just, we're just, in other words, we're able to control it when there's accountability. So you bring in a third party that's observing the argument, then all of a sudden we, we realize, oh, I don't want to. I don't want them to know how I would act in this moment, so I'm going to bring that under control. So we have the ability to control it. So self-control is using that, using the ability by the Spirit of God, control our temper in that moment so that it doesn't get out of control. Number six, David made a decision to act while he was still angry. He was ready to take his own revenge and leave God out of the picture. So he made a decision while he was angry. Romans 12, 19 says this. Never take your own revenge. How often? Never. But it's fun. We, we enjoy it. But the Bible says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, let God get them. You don't have to get them. Let them go. Release them from your anger. Release them from your unforgiveness. Let them go. Give them to God because as it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't you think God is probably better at just justice and judgment than you are? Amen. Absolutely. And if you make decisions while you're angry, you know what you're going to do? You're going to make some stupid decisions. You're going to make some foolish decisions. You're going to make some irreversible decisions decisions. See, because when we're angry, we'll often say things that we wish we haven't said. There's one who speaks like the thrust of a sword. So, so Greg's here on the front, second row, you know, so I could go stab Greg a couple of times with a sword and then say, I'm sorry. Is he okay now? No. And that's what we do that all the time. It's like we have the, we say these horrible things and then we say, I said I was sorry. Now it's your fault for not forgiving me. <laughs> right? I said I was sorry. God says you have to forgive me. So how do we deal with that? Well, yeah. It's like he is going to forgive me. Give him a moment. Give him a little bit for the wounds to heal. Because, the, you know, for him to survive the knife attack. For grace to work. But I don't put that expectation on him. He doesn't have to forgive me. I did wrong. 
He can forgive me. He may choose to forgive me, but I don't say, you know, if you're a Christian, you've got to forgive me. Really? I'm not sure that's how that works. So we, we, we often say things in the moment, in that moment of anger, that yeah, we can, we can say, I shouldn't have said it. We, should say, we can say, I'm sorry, but it'd make a, take a long time for those wounds to heal. And you need to give a little space for healing. You don't need to like, you know, call them tomorrow and say, you forgive me yet? You forgive me yet? It's time for you to forgive me? You forgive me yet? Anyway. Number seven, be willing to let other people help you see your blind spots. You know why they call them blind spots? Because you can't see them. If you could see them, they wouldn't be blind spots. So David had a blind spot. David couldn't see his own overreaction. And even the 600 guys who were with him were like, let's go kill them all. And just because you have agreement with a lot of other people doesn't mean you're right either. You need to be open to what God is saying. And here's the amazing thing. So he's, he's open to what God is saying. And Abigail helps him see his blind spots. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. She helped him see his blind spot and stop so that he didn't take revenge. He didn't remain angry. He didn't do the deed and end up wiping out all these innocent people, having innocent blood on his hands because he was able to see. She helped him see. A lot of times it helps us to have someone else who can help us see. Anger won't fix itself. You got, anybody got any small kids in the house? Dirty diapers won't change themselves, no matter how bad they stink. You can, you can say, ooh, that really smells bad. This is one of the areas where the fact that I can't smell well is a blessing. <laughs> because some, for some reason, if you smell it, you have to change it. That's like the law. So everybody has to act like, did you smell that? I didn't smell anything. <laughs> no, wasn't me. So you, in, but you have to do something. It won't, it, it won't just happen. You have to, you have to make progress. You have to make a step. If, if you have a flat on your car, you can walk around it in the name of Jesus. You can say, I, you know, you can sing worship songs. <laughs> you lift me up. You know, it won't, it won't change it. You got to change it. A lot of things like this, it's a step. It's a process. How, so how do we get out of anger? How do we get out of, of where anger is controlling us? And we start very simply, is that we acknowledge that it's a problem. We acknowledge, we agree with God. You see, you know what, you know what, when the Bible talks about repentance, what repentance is, Repentance is agreeing with what God says about the problem. 
And so what David did is that David came to his senses and he agreed that what Abigail was saying was right, that he shouldn't take his own revenge, that he needed to give it to God and let God handle it. And God did handle it, but he needed to let go of it. So he learned that lesson very quickly and he let it go and he didn't kill Nabal like he wanted to in his anger. And so he agreed with God. So one of the things that you need to agree with God, he admitted he was wrong and he agreed with God. And then the second thing is a lot of times we have to, we have to bring this, this weakness element into it and say, listen, I'm not very good at handling this. Lord, I, I need your spirit to help my spirit <laughs> to have self-control. I need your spirit to work in my spirit so that I can, I can say no. I can resist. I need the Spirit of God to enable me, empower me, because I, I'm, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable. I recognize that I'm not good at this. Lord, I'm not good at this. So you agree with God, and you ask for God's help. And then you rinse and repeat. How often do you do that? As often as necessary. Because here's what's going to happen. I don't know how you walk through life as a Christian, but most of us walk through life like this. <laughs> and we fall. So then we have to get back up again. And we walk a little ways and we, ha <laughs> ha, we hit the dirt. I would hit the dirt if I could, but I couldn't get back up easily. So I'm not going to do that. I could have Tim come up here and illustrate it for me. He's still young and flexible, but... Uh, what do we do? We have to get back up again because you're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. David is a man after God's own heart and he makes a horrible mistake. But he, in the middle of it, he comes to his senses and he changes direction and the Lord works it out on his behalf. So sometimes we have to let God handle it. We have to give it up. Amen. Let's stand. Some of you are here today, and we can't tell. It's not obvious. You got a problem with anger. So don't, don't nudge your husband or your wife if you know that's who it is. You know, he's talking to you. You know that, right? But here's good news God wants to help you, He wants to help you by His Spirit. Empower your spirit so that in this area of your life, in really any area of your life, you can exercise the self-control of God <laughs> working in your life. So we're going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, you know everyone in here today. You know our struggles. You know where we hurt. So, Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us in our weakness. We agree with you, God, that it's sin. We repent from it and we turn from it. And we turn to you, Lord. We ask you to give us strength and help. We're weak in ourselves and we need your help. And Lord, we want to instead be empowered by your spirit so that we can walk by your spirit's power and overcome. Have self-control. Lord, we, we need your help today. We acknowledge it. We want to Walk not by our strength, not by do better, try harder, but by depending upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.